Healthcare Now, paid for by Integrated Physician Network. This program is recorded to air at this time. Healthcare premiums through the roof. So much to think about when it comes to healthcare. Who do you talk to? Where do you go next? Well, we've got your answer to navigating the healthcare world. Welcome to Healthcare Now with host Mark Chayat and Larry Jones. And now let's head into the Healthcare Now studios. Welcome to Healthcare Now. Happy Saturday afternoon. I'm Dr. Mark. I'm here with my co-host, Larry. Larry, how are you doing today? Good afternoon, Dr. Mark. Good to be with you today. Yeah, we're going to have a a really interesting day today. We've got a a guest with us who I think everybody's going to be pretty excited about. Yes. And Um, then uh, I think we'll start off. Ray from Florida Blue. Yep. So we'll uh, get a full formal intro for him for the next segment, and uh, we'll talk about uh, all all things blue. So it'll be great. Exactly. Yep. So, so we're going to talk about COVID first? Yeah, let's go ahead. And uh, I think people are getting used to it. I was thinking about this the other day. Like, our show is going to uh, become extra long when we come out of this COVID-19. We'll have to right. uh, we'll have to just start talking about regular things. Exactly, you know? exactly. But I think all the news this week was about booster. Booster shots, right? yep. We started, we talked a little bit about that last week. Uh, the, the biggest news is the CDC has come out and approved the booster shot for emergency use in Pfizer. Yes. They're quite specific about yes. which shot. They're leaving Moderna out. The, right. the, Moderna has also applied, if I'm not mistaken, but they have not been approved. Correct. Uh, just looking for more data. And basically, the uh, CDC uh, conglomerate really said certain groups well, that we've been three, talking three about. Things. Right. It was persons over 65 of years of age and in long-term care facility residents, people 50 to 64 with underlying medical conditions, and people 18 to 49 also with underlying medical conditions. But then, right. then Gail a, Walensky, mm-hmm. the head of the CDC, came back and said, no, no, we need, we need all health care workers yep. and school teachers yep. to be yep. included in this booster. And, and it was a a sort of a, a bold move in some ways because it did go against what the, uh, what the yep. group recommendation was. It certainly makes sense. I certainly agree mm-hmm. with it. Uh, I think it's probably the, the first time that this particular group at the CDC has gone a little bit outside data points or science. Yes. But it's like we talked about last week. I mean, if you're waiting for more data, what you're waiting for is breakthrough infection. So do you right. want the healthcare right. workers? I mean, what's the downside risk there if you right. say, oh, yeah, you know what? It looks like it's starting to wear off because we're getting a lot of sick healthcare workers. Right. I've heard a number of infectious disease docs say it's not about if you're going to get the Delta it's when. I mean, if you're if you're exposed to if it you're enough not times, yeah. Oh, yeah. not vaccinated. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good, yeah. goodness, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. And and you know, in in some senses, the Delta variant may it's it's a really rough way to get through a pandemic is yep. to have people get sick. Yeah. And indeed, when we look at the numbers at the end of all this, that's probably going to be a big game changer about how long it takes us to be through right. with with you know wave one, right. wave two, wave three, right. and and when everyone has been either exposed and survived right. or vaccinated. Well, that's kind of what happened with the flu back in 1918, That's right? exactly what happened, because yeah. they didn't have a vaccine. Right. And so either people died, and a lot of people did die. Or natural immunity. Or natural immunity yeah. Yeah. was built because yeah. they survived. Right. So right. so that's that's what we're seeing with the, the Delta variant, and hopefully we're not going to see another variant that pushes right. that. Uh, well, let's talk was a about lot for just loss. a minute, Dr. Mark, about mm-hmm. this uh, override that Rochelle Walensky with the director of the CDC did with school teachers and healthcare professionals. I see that in Orlando, in the Orlando Sentinel, 
a week or so ago. There was an article in there about healthcare workers avoid shots. You want to talk about that for a minute? Because you're in yeah. the hospitals right. you know, on a this, regular basis. This actually goes all the way back to when they first released the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine, and people were standing in line to get it. Yep. And so the hospitals were it was just being given at the hospitals, and the hospitals had ordered a certain number of vaccines. Right. And about a couple of weeks in, all of a sudden, it's really easy to get a vaccine. Yep. And part of that was because they were going to things were going to go out of date because about 25 percent of yep. the folks they expected to get vaccinated have not. And, and at now first it was only of, Pfizer and it had the freezing issue. Right. Yep. And so they had they definitely had a date that they had to get it all out. Right. With. So at that point, the number they threw around was about a quarter of the healthcare workers that they expected to get it did not. And now they're looking okay. up there. Most both the big hospital systems here basically say about yep. one in three. So, you know, they're, okay. they're looking One at... One in three? Yeah, so okay. a little bit yeah. higher than, than 25%, okay. right? More well, than 33% are not vaccinated. Think about it as a vaccinated. patient. How would you like to go in as a patient with whatever's going on with you and know that the people taking care of you have not been vaccinated? I mean, that... I got a problem with that. Yeah, I, you know, it's it goes back to that this whole, you know, right, my body, my choice, and, sure. and you know what I want to do. But, yeah, I'm with you. If you... I think when you go into the hospital, you go in to see your physician in their office, any of those times, you yep. there's sort of an unwritten understanding that that, you know, they're there to it's not call health care. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it is that that's a big part of it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then, you know, looking similarly, you know, the school teachers. Yeah. School I mean, teachers, you know, it's, another it's, issue. It's, yep. They're they're getting exposed a great yep. deal. So it's yeah, it's going to be a continued battle. Um, I think there's always going to be that number that are just mm-hmm. going to fight. And lose their well, right. what, what, in New York. You, we're yeah. talking about that. The school teachers. Yeah. The uh, the governor actually made a comment last night on the news that if you're not vaccinated Friday night, don't plan on coming to work Monday morning. Right. And in the, the school, uh, school teacher unions or are the going healthcare crazy. system. Yep, yep. Yep. And and that again, it's not about they're disagreeing that it's a, a good thing to do individually, yep. but the groups that are disagreeing yep. about you can't make these decisions for us. Sure. Well, you know, while we're talking about the school, I saw it was very. Uh, Good to see that Pfizer applied for emergency use on kids 5 to 11 this past week. Right, right. We talked about that being yep. up up and coming. Yep. Um, and it'll be, there haven't been any comments back uh, as of yet. And I do want to point out that we do, we do tape the show early. So there may be, uh, there, there may be some work, True. you know, by the time Saturday hits. And I'm, right. I'm hopeful that it will be. The expectation is we'll probably see about the same percentage of, kids 5 to 11 getting it that we've seen at the 12 to 16 so so we think that we're going to get those numbers i mean i know uh you know i've I've got an 11 year old right and i've been going to a lot of uh 11 year olds sporting events stuff yeah and different things and i'm thinking about it all the time i'm like well you know this is a this is a large group that uh a lot of people are exposed to and well, I think not, that's the issue with the teachers, too. Mm-hmm, sure. These kids can give it to Absolutely. the teacher. Absolutely. The teacher takes it home and gives it to who knows who. Right. And yeah. then, you know, the piece that comes back as a just something that's convenient, if these kids are exposed and they have been vaccinated, they don't have to quarantine. Right. And and now some schools have changed. You yeah. know, each school yeah. has its own policy. And, in fact, here in Orange County, mm-hmm. uh, the different school systems, yep. Orange County versus some of the private schools, had very different ways of handling yeah. that. My granddaughter, my 12-year-old granddaughter, was actually quarantined, and she's had the shots. Yeah, right. And I had yeah. a, another friend, yeah. 
same kind of thing. They, and they put it off on the health department. They said, no, yep. you got to get a negative test at the health That's department. Right. That's right. So and I she think did. it depends on the, yeah. the resources yeah. at the particular school campus right. really comes into play. Right. And, and again, that's understandable. But across the board, it makes sense that if you came out and sure. just said, listen, if you've got proof yep. of vaccination, you don't don't right. have to quarantine. Well, you know, let's talk about a couple things here. Uh, it's still estimated that 70 million Americans over the age of 12 are not vaccinated mm-hmm. in America. But also, you got the boosters coming out now. So with all the, I wouldn't call them anti-vaxxers, but people that are uh, leery on getting it, there are five, the Pfizer came out with five common side effects that they feel that uh, are pretty common with it. When it comes to it, you want to go through a couple of those, Dr. Mark? Yeah. And actually, the I mean, and, and these are this is information collected by and reported to the FDA, collected by Pfizer. By Pfizer. So, so right. the FDA did have some discussion about that. Yes. And so the five, the most common, which is uh, the most common for all injections, mm-hmm. all vaccines is injection site pain. So that's yep. over 80 percent of people are going to have some pain. Right. right. And I think everybody agrees that it's just something to remark upon sure. really and it lasts a day to. or two and it's you're and good i it. had a sore arm yep. but it didn't didn't yeah, matter i mean i've had yep. all, all three vaccinations and yep. they were all exactly the same yep. Uh, yep. i had had a sore arm so the the second most common mm-hmm. is is fatigue and fatigue is a tough one because you know that's very subjective i think uh, you know there's a lot of uh, placebo effect there too but but about 64 percent of people reported fatigue okay and again lasting one to three days right and then the, the third most common is headache. Okay. Uh, just under 50% of people had, had headaches. Mm-hmm. And then about 40% had muscle and joint pain. And then down to uh, 29% of people had chills. Chills. So, okay. so they literally felt ill right. and had sort of that feverish right. kind of chills. So those are the most common. Yep. Um, and I'm hoping that our listeners, that the ones that haven't been vaccinated, are listening to these five side effects, Dr. Mark, and realize that there's nothing serious about any of this. Right. And and to be fair, like these top five, I don't I don't think that's what's keeping people from getting vaccinated. You know, I think it's a lot of the misinformation out there. Um, there's there's clearly some concern for much more serious things going on, but they're incredibly rare. And I mean, that's the thing that are really pushing people that are thoughtfully deciding not to do it as opposed to just right. not doing it because you're being told you have to do it. Right. So again, we've, we've still kept this. I, is it fair to say that it's becoming less political? I mean, I would say in the last three weeks, it's still a very, it's very, still very political, political. but, yep. but I, I feel as though that, that the rhetoric has I hope gotten a little case. more bipartisan, yeah. you know, well, maybe a little more weeks. scientific than political. Well, I mean, but even Hopefully. even that statement, right? That yeah, that, that that's science a big statement. Became, yeah. Science <laughs> became <laughs> sort of a political issue too. So, but I, I am feeling as though the that the media spin on it is a little bit less aimed at specific groups yep. or or political standings, and you know that that to me is is going to do more than a lot of the data that we yep. put out about gee, you know, your arm's right. just going to be sore or not, you know. So where do you see the two major health systems and actually three with HCA here in Orlando? What stand do you think they're going to be taking on these getting the rest of these people vaccinated? Now, I think they're going to come down just like they do with the flu vaccine. Mm-hmm. The flu vaccine is a required vaccine on It is required workers. by the hospital. Yeah. The okay. the only way you could opt out in the past was if you agreed to wear a mask during the entire flu season and which would have just started in September, right? So mm-hmm. so 
ironically, when this when we were all wearing masks, I wondered what they're going to do about the flu vaccine. And what I've heard from the two systems is that they're just going to tell you you have to have it. Right. And uh, and we've, been, we've even got some emails impacting your practice that you know, we're starting to get out now. Elective procedures it somewhere else. You need to show us proof. So I think it's going to be more specifically and heavily police patient monitoring uh, that you're going to so need to get the flu vaccine, and then that is going to push forward for COVID to as well. You know, I Better totally yet. agree Call with the idea. It's my body. I should decide what I put in it. But there's also the public health issue. Six oh five. Six eight five nine. And that's the whole vaccine argument. Right. We talk right. about the original yep. folks that are yep. very anti-vaccine. Yep. It's it's herd immunity, and you know when when we're worried about yeah, are there are there any bad outcomes? Yep. Okay, we're, we'd be foolish to say <clears throat> there's never a bad outcome, right? Right. right. But understanding the numbers yep. and and what we're treating is this entire nation and world, and we've got right. you know bigger things to think about. Sure. Well, in all respect uh, to the Orlando Health comment about one in three are unvaccinated, mm-hmm. the Orlando Health people say that those Numbers are skewed that it's higher than that because they're including the private physician offices oh, okay. that they're there and say that those numbers don't relate just to people that are working in the hospital. So they're probably more the, at that 25% yeah. that they thought yeah. originally. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Just to just take a guess. Th- thanks for pointing that out. Yeah. I did. We don't need them calling up. And I mean, I think no. all in all, we're seeing uh, most of the most of my colleagues uh, have uh, they may have hesitated right right out of the gate, sure. but they're not really yeah, coming now. Dr. Mark, we're going to be right back with Ray Parzik from Blue Cross. The Integrated Independent Physicians Network, preserving and protecting the independent practice of medicine since 2015. Join the movement with us, ipnetworkflorida.com. Mark Chayot, MD practicing pediatric surgeon since 1997, working with Central Florida's premier hospital systems and outpatient surgery centers, providing unparalleled patient care and leveraging the latest in medical, technology, and education, accepting all major insurance. 407-228-4774 or visit orlandopediatricsurgery.com. The Integrated Independent Physicians Network, preserving and protecting the independent practice of medicine since 2015. Join the movement with us, ipnetworkflorida.com. Welcome to Healthcare Now. Welcome back to Healthcare Now. I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Mark. And Dr. Mark, we have Ray Parzik. Senior Director of Value-Based Contracts with Florida Blue, Florida Blue Cross and Blue Shield Company with us today. Welcome to the show, Ray. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of a, kind of a mouthful, but we wanted it to was. point out. Yeah. Yep. So Florida Blue is Florida's Blue Cross and Blue Shield Company. Correct. Uh, and you guys have carried that, uh, that name uh, into the market for how many years now, Ray? Uh, I think it's about 10 years yeah. uh, when we um, we looked at the naming of the Blue yeah. Cross and Blue Shield of Florida and did some market research, talked to some folks, and, and really Florida mm-hmm. Blue just, it rolls off the tongue. It's it's, it's a much friendlier sounding name and, and people relate yeah. to that much better. So we've, we've got a great response. Yeah, I uh, love the, the name. Well, Ray, tell us a little bit about uh, your background and your responsibility at Blue Cross. Absolutely, yeah. You know, and so for me, uh, my formal education uh, is in psychology, you know, focused on applied behavior analysis and studying ways you could use 
and leverage reward systems to change performance and improve performance. Um, I later studied instructional systems design, performance technology, um, did a lot of good work in, in kind of growing my, my uh, basis in um, science. Um, and I came into Florida Blue about 18 years ago um, oh, wow. and really focusing in on um, uh, health business operations and, and working with the organization to pull together uh, adult education. So new hire training, cross training. I did that for a couple of years. And, um, and I, I don't want to say I got bored with it, but, you know, mm-hmm. I needed a new challenge. And um, I went over into physician network contracting and spent about a decade in the network contracting space um, and, and really evolving that into areas for alternative payment and working into what's now the value-based contracting area. Um, I work in commercial markets, mm-hmm. so we have a whole separate unit that does our Florida Blue Medicare Right. The Medicare Advantage line of the business. We just wanted to kind of put that disclaimer out there. Sure, right. Um, my day job uh, is uh, working directly with the doctors, you know, in health systems and physician practices to uh, create new payment models, uh, value-based right. financial models uh, for the market. And we talk a lot about uh, value-based, you know, with our, our personal experience with that, and uh, that's certain something we're involved with with you. But so that's basically that's one of your main things is you're responsible for all the value-based products at Florida Blue. And that's over 4.2 million member lives. How does that, can you tell the audience like what that means on the day-to-day functioning of your organization? And you personally, like you say, you're contacting physicians and dealing with them, and which uh, sounds like a terrible job to me. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, but uh, <laughs> it's it, like it, a big job. job it, you know, because we, yeah. we kind of play a little How that game. How do you count much 4 million number. members? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, it's a fantastic job. And I think it's, it's been a, a wonderful experience working with the providers in the community in Florida. Um, but value-based contracting is really trying to change how healthcare is paid for, to really put it simply. Um, you know, over the past several decades, and I'm sure you all have spoken about this on the show, is um, everything's been paid for via fee-for-service. You know, right. so the physician or the hospital, uh, they give you a discounted rate for visits. They come in network. Um, you know, they basically earn um, additional revenue by performing more services. The more visits, the more procedures uh, the more money that they can make. And value-based programs is trying to get away from all that. Um, we're trying to align the compensation to how healthy uh, the people are, how healthy the population is. Right. Um, did they get a good experience? Um, do they have an overall um, affordable outcome? And so I would say, you know, I can't underscore enough that affordability is number one priority. And um, moving to value-based care, um, it's really necessary. You know, we've got to get away from uh, the model that's been designed to pay when people get sick to a model that's that's designed to pay when people stay well. And and Florida Blue is extremely progressive uh, in regard to payment innovation models. Um, our intent to grow value-based models has been very strong and even stronger since the, the Affordable Care Act. Could you, uh, and, and this is something we, not something we talked about before, so I understand if you don't have the exact, but what percentages are we still seeing on fee-for-service versus value-based? I mean, value-based is no longer new, but it's it's much newer than fee-for-service. Yeah, you know, we've been um, chipping away at it for about a decade, you know, trying to get more and more of our members aligned. We're trying to get uh, 2 million members, if we can, aligned uh, to value-based relationships. Um, so our patient-centered medical home program started focused on primary care. It started back in 2011. Um, we've got about 135 practices, 1,700 primaries. Um, we've got about 30 accountable care relationships with 3,000 primaries. Um, we've done work in bundles and episodes as well. So, I mean, we're sitting, you know, probably closer to 50%, you 
you know, we're really making a lot of progress right. um, with a lot of uh, members and spend the line for these alternative payment yeah. models. Well, Ray, on the value base, and again, you know, IPN, we have a relationship with you in our second year of our value base contract, and th- things seem to be going along very, very well. I think we've made some impacts and created some savings. But in the value based arena, tell our listeners a little bit about it. how does it actually affect them as a member of Florida Blue? Yeah, it's um, trying to put them, the patient, the member, in the center of the entire care process. You know, having a team of people surrounding them um, and supporting them and providing access to care. So trying to get them to be able to know where to go, um, where they can get care outside of an emergency room setting, uh, being able to get efficient care, people that are looking at them as a person, not a body part. You know, so I think how does it help them is, really being able to give data information and sharing uh, of financials all around that experience that's created for each member each time they walk into that that, uh, examination room. I don't want to move away from that value-based care discussion quite yet, so I want to to throw a little question to you from from a responsibility standpoint. Like we speak to the doctors in our group, and I'm a physician in our group, and I've sort of learned what my responsibility is in contributing to a value-based program. What does the carrier, what does your group bring to the table as far as teaching us? Because it's, it's certainly new to us, and this is not something that, that, the, that the caregivers came up with, right? It came, it came from industry side, and it makes, we love it, but, but how, how do you <laughs> see your role as educating you know, the, the care delivery system? Yeah, it's, it's really shedding light on what happens outside the, the four walls of the exam room. You know, and I think there's a lot of things that a physician can do working with a patient um, when they're in the office. Um, but when they leave the office and they seek care elsewhere, they end up in the emergency department or they have a hospitalization. Um, sometimes those dots don't get connected naturally on their own. You know, so someone has to be there to kind of share information and say, we want to enable this member to get the best experience if they had an emergency department visit or if they went to a specialist, if they had another um, episode of care happen, being able to give that data and information uh, to the providers that can, that can basically shepherd the member through the experience, that can follow up, that can say, hey, I see you, you had an emergency room visit. What happened? You know, and get them back in the primary care office, which is really the hub for all that we're talking about here is um, the paramount importance of primary care. Well, you know, Dr. Mark leads the charge on IPN, but I can tell you we spend a lot of time with our offices helping them build their infrastructure to co- to convert from a fee-for-service to a value-based type program, sure. whether it's workflow or the actual things that they do with the patient in the office day in and day out, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's a key, and I think the what we've been able to – sort of promote the product the most is what you were saying. It's the, the data that the yep. physician's office just wouldn't have that you do. Yep. And I'll tell you, Ray, you know, one of the exciting things for me about this is it's really the first time when the commercial payers are working with the doctors and doctors working with the commercial payers for that same goal. And it probably should have been something that was, was in all the the setups, but it definitely puts us in the in the same corner, and I think that's very exciting. How's that a- affected you and your teammates at at Florida Blue? I mean, does it is it a more challenging job, or is it a more enjoyable, if you will, job? So yes, 
<laughs> I think it, it, Good um, it's most, it's, it's definitely changes the dynamic, you know? So I think if you think about the traditional payer provider relationship in a fee for service world, you know, you've got one side that's, that's set to say, you know, I want increased compensation per visit. And the other side who has a benefit, basically, you know, their incentive is to keep the compensation lower. So, you know, you end up in this unit cost fee for service world that does not promote collaboration, cooperation, innovation. It promotes uh, the opposite of all of those things. So I think I'm, I'm very uniquely afforded the opportunity to um, talk outside of those lines, you know, right. to talk about total cost of care, to talk about quality, to look at innovation and come up with new solutions that could work in communities. Um, so I think that being said, value-based care is about measurement. It's about measurement and goal setting and financial sharing um, of outcomes. So I think all of those aspects are tremendously complicated and complex. So, you know, you have to be able to measure the care experience for a variety of different types of patients from all walks of life and understand performance, um, not only so you can drive improvements, but so you can find out if you've been successful in the model together. So I think it's, it's a real unique position to be in where you truly can have a win-win um, uh, relationship with the provider and throw on the win for the customer. Yeah. You know, Ray, before you know, so we get off of the value base and we'll move on, I got a, just a thought for you, because Florida Blue is the largest in the area. So, how important is it for our overall U.S. healthcare system to move from FIFA service to FIFA value? Can you tell our listeners what that really means? Yeah, I think that, you know, for me, um, it's one of the most important times to be working in healthcare. You know, I think you know you've seen a lot of progress. Um, through the last decade in this space, you know, we're still trying to find a path forward to how we get away from paying for illness to paying for wellness. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, I think moving towards these sophisticated methodologies to ensure people really can get access to the right care, the right place, the right time, right. and it's affordable. It's the most important undertaking, um, I think, uh, for healthcare. Um, in our country today. Yeah. And it's pretty much a uh, bipartisan movement in Washington as well, I believe. Yes, it is. Yeah. Absolutely. What What's driving, I'm speaking of Washington, what is driving the health care costs that we see? And we talk every week about the year-over-year year increase in total health care costs, out-of-pocket costs for patients. So in, from from your, your stance, what do you think is, is driving that ever-increasing cost? Yeah, I think um, right now it's hard not to talk about, um, you know, the elephant in the room of COVID-19. Yep. You know, it's, it's such a big factor. Um, and we, as a company, we're doing everything we can to get the word out about the importance of being vaccinated. So, you know, so many people directly affected by the pandemic, you know, I think it's just it's very important that, that we get vaccinated to move on from this. Um, but I think really it's, it's navigation of the system. You know, the healthcare system is so complex and complicated. Um, people can't figure it out, you know, and typically whenever they're in the situation that they're trying to navigate it, it's when they're under stress, you know, they're freaked out. They're fearing what could be wrong with their health. They're worried if they can afford it. Um, they don't have always an established relationship with a primary care physician. And many of them rely on the emergency room, uh, for their acute right. care and their, their healthcare needs. Um, so, so, you know, they really need to understand, um, where's the best financial option for care? Where's the most holistic experience? For their care, where's somebody going to really look at them and look holistically in a patient-centered way? So, you know, getting information um, from those you trust, like you know your friends and family and your payer, you know, you, you 
it can be helpful, but it's still frustrating and yeah. challenging. We got to take a break real quick, but uh, let's keep that thought and we'll be right back. The Integrated Independent Physicians Network, preserving and protecting the independent practice of medicine since 2015. Join the movement with us, ipnetworkflorida.com. Mark Chayot, MD, practicing pediatric surgeon since 1997, working with Central Florida's premier hospital systems and outpatient surgery centers, providing unparalleled patient care and leveraging the latest in medical, technology, and education accepting all major insurance. 407-228-4774 or visit orlandopediatricsurgery.com. The Integrated Independent Physicians Network, preserving and protecting the independent practice of medicine since 2015. Join the movement with us, ipnetworkflorida.com. Mark Chayot, MD, practicing pediatric surgeon since 1997, working with Central Florida's premier hospital systems and outpatient surgery centers, providing unparalleled patient care and leveraging the latest in medical, technology, and education, accepting all major insurance. 407-228-4774 or visit orlandopediatricsurgery.com. Well, we've got your answer to navigating the healthcare world. Welcome to Healthcare Now. Welcome back to Healthcare Now. We're talking with Ray Parzik, Senior Director of Florida Blue, Florida's Blue Cross and Blue Shield Company, with us today. Ray, we were talking about what's driving healthcare costs, and you were just getting into that uh, question a little bit. You want to expand on that? Yeah, you know, I think it's um, really at the at the end of the day, it's it's navigation, you know, again, and and people uh, historically have been on their own to try to figure it out, and it's 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 a very complicated um, system to figure out, and I think typically, um, you know, there there aren't enough tools, there, there's not enough time uh, to get it right, you know. So I think for me, that's the biggest thing is how do you get the patient uh, to where they feel uh, well educated. On, on what to do, you know, step A through Z of seeking care. Um, and really, it's for me, getting the right um, partner, you know, to help you through that experience. And, and we see it as these um, accountable care providers or these patient-centered um, primary care offices that are focused on the patient and are willing to work with us to look at data, to look at information, to try to understand what's happening to their patient population. And they'll, they'll take, they'll basically have, take ownership of that person's experience, you know, and, and that's, I think, what's unique about this is, you know, you don't have this, uh, you know, environment where it's kind of everyone's on their own out there billing by the, the service to an environment where you've got people looking after people, which is what right. I think yeah, uh, that's, in a good way. Yeah, I mean, I think that's very important. And and if the, the question is always out there, if we can really get on point and be very, very effective in that arena, is that going to bring? It will certainly bring healthcare costs down. Will it? Will it rein them in? Will it, we see costs literally going back a few decades? Probably not. There's a lot of other factors involved, but but I guess controlling things that we can control a bite at a time seems to be a, a really great yeah. great way to go about it. And I I know that we appreciate 
Florida Blues involvement in these value-based programs because, right. you know, like I say, it's it's the first time we're we're really working together on something very important. Right. So, now Ray, gonna, you know, let, let's talk about that. You had mentioned earlier the influence of primary care. And uh, let's talk about that versus specialist physicians in your programs. You want to kind of uh, give our listening audience a little bird's eye view of that? Yeah, you know, and I think it, it physicians um, play a very important role in their communities, regardless of their specialty or their practice. I firmly believe that. Um, we put a lot of emphasis as a plan on establishing an ongoing relationship with a primary care provider. I mean, it's just so important um, in so many ways to help lower that member's out-of-pocket costs. It also gets ahead of problems. It gets it prevents future issues and gives them a home base, gives them some place to go um, when something goes wrong. But we have not at all uh, left specialists out of the equation. I mean, we, we know uh, that they, there must be engagement, that we must listen and find ways to structure measurement and align financials for certain types of services or procedures. And you see a lot of that through episode-based payments or what they call bundled payments where you're grouping mm-hmm. together sets of service around an acute episode of care. So there's a lot of things there that, are, that we're just learning from and we're getting started. Um, so I think you'll see a lot more in that space. We do a lot with oncology and cancer care. You know, so we've got a lot of innovative relationships around right. um, trying to help people get the most um, uh, effective cancer care with the best possible outcome. Um, and, and, you know, you see a lot of things coming up, too, in other areas, in kidney disease. Well, let's talk about uh, cancer care for just a second, Ray. You know, when in our ACO and managing our patients, we find that once a patient has been diagnosed with uh, a cancer of any type, they end up that pretty much the oncologist becomes their primary care doctor and the PCP kind of wanes by the by the side. And that's when costs go out of control. Uh, you want to talk about that a little bit? Because I'm sure you're seeing that. Yeah, you know, and that, that dynamic happens a lot. You know, whenever somebody gets that diagnosis and you have a very intensive episode of care um, with, with a lot of different types of things that need to be done, you know, to assess, you know, what's happening with the patient. How, right. how far along is the disease? How, how much has it progressed? Um, what's the person's makeup? You know, so certain types of chemotherapies work based on your genetic composition than others may not. So, like, there's a lot of things that go into delivering cancer care. And so we do see that. But we also see when members go into survivorship. So let's say that they come out of the, the end of the episode and, and, um, and they survive. And they do. We do see them um, continuing a relationship with that, with that primary care physician over time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it definitely during that six, six months to a year of a very intensive treatment, um, that that oncologist really becomes their quarterback. Right. I mean, you're the largest commercial carrier in Florida, so you see that when you say you see that a lot, you really see that a lot. I mean, that's an incredibly common episode to have as a family member involved in in cancer care. So, having said that, I mean, is there a path where these oncologists become to you? I mean, to the value based programs, sort of part of the primary care, sort of the, the temporary step in off the bench, you know, primary care. And I mean, what type of, where, where are we failing and the physician side to control those costs that we could? So for me, it's, it's the complexity of cancer. So I think, you know, it's, it's the most difficult thing to measure. So what we are used to doing is measuring populations that are very large and um, heterogeneous. You know, so, you know, but you still have a bell curve and you're looking at, you know, 
20,000 lives plus whenever you're making an assessment. You, you don't have that with cancer care. Fortunately, fortunately, you don't right, have yep, that. Exactly. You have very, very yep. small, very, very small sample sizes. But the, the amount of um, variability within your sample is enormous. So I think trying to understand, you know, stage one, stage four, I mean, those are very big differences within one cancer type. Of course. So I would, I would offer that just understanding the data, you know, and having to marry the clinical data with the financial data to try to make an assessment of program value is extremely difficult. And that's what we spend a lot of time with um, our community oncologists, trying to understand, you know, how do we measure stuff? Right. You know, and it seems trivial, but it's very important and value-based. You're trying to It is very important. You know. And, Ray, what we do, and you know this, when we're looking at our cost management, we look at, obviously, admissions, readmissions, ER visits, specialist cost, imaging, outpatient, and site of service, as well as overall uh, medical loss ratio, you know. Well, I think, yeah, you know, the, you got to do it. Yeah, yeah, the oncology world's been ahead of the game in a lot of ways because they do have a lot of national protocols that are supported yep. by in-depth research and i mean that's i would that's sort of the way i've always looked at it is you know with i'm, I'm in uh, pediatric surgery so our cancer care is uh you know fortunately also very limited um and our survival rates are very high but at the same time when a child is diagnosed you pointed out there's there's just they're staging all this information and and the oncologist really sits down and puts that patient right into, okay, this, this, these studies nationally do this. And I don't know, all, all those studies are based on survival and recurrence. And it would be interesting to see how value-based medicine comes in and, and looking at the way, you know, can, is there a way to maintain that survival and recurrence data in a you know, more, frugal fashion if you will and that there is it's going to be t- it's going to be tough to to crack that nut yeah. it is and i think it's um you know we recognize the complexity of it and i think of all value-based models it's, it's by far the most difficult um but it's probably one of the most important you know yeah. i think that's whenever big. the the patients and, the, and our members need us the most you know that's whenever they need people in their court and, right. and they need people helping them to integrate their care. And a lot of it's the same stuff. It's like, you know, trying to get them to the right place, get them to the right, you know, types of services um, and help them uh, get the best possible experience in an integrated and efficient way. So they're not kind of left bouncing around from office to office and nobody's talking to each other. Right. You know, so we're trying to fix that. And it's, it's, um, it's incremental, but I think the, the having the, all of the partners around the table saying that we're all here for the same purpose, that's powerful. Okay, you know, when before we get, I want to talk a little bit about the ACA because you guys have been the leader in the Obamacare product uh, in Orange and Seminole County for many years. But before we do that, uh, just kind of close out the value-based piece. When you're identifying high-performing physician practices in your value-based programs, how do you measure that performance, Ray? Yeah, yeah, I think... um Everybody remembers, like, you know, uh, when you're in a class and they're, they're grading on the curve. <laughs> you know, like there's some of that. It's, you are kind of looking at um, high performing uh, is really often defined in the context of the bell curve. You're really looking at what's happening in the community. You know, what, what are the outcomes we see for access? You know, how, how quickly are people able to get appointments and get in? Um, what are we seeing in affordability in terms of total cost of care? Um, what are we seeing in clinical quality? So, you know, are they getting the preventive care that they need? And looking at these types of factors, 
in the context of their community and comparing the populations and saying, who's got lower costs, better quality, and better utilization of resources? And generally, what we've seen is value-based providers do. I mean, they have lower costs. They have higher quality. Um, they don't use the ER as much. And this is stuff we've right. been looking at for a decade. Um, it holds true every year whenever we look at it. Um, but high-performing is always in the context of your comparator, I think. Right. Yeah, I think that's what always surprises when we talk to to patients about this is that they think, oh, you guys are just trying to spend less money on us. And the reality is it's one feeds to the other. The people who are doing really high-quality care yeah. do it more efficiently. So the yeah. outcomes are yep. better yep. and the costs are lower. And, you know, and people that are focused on how do we lower costs, they're not sitting here trying to do that at the at the loss of the patient. So, no, it's it is it's it's we're, we're all on the same team, you know, with with the patient. So that's very, very important. Well, Larry brought this up a second ago about the ACA. And I mean, I'd like to see, you know, what what kinds of things your experiences here uh, for us here in Orange Seminole County. You guys have been the, the major player on the ACA for years. And uh, what, what can you, what can you tell us about what to expect and what that experience has been like? Yeah. You know, I think um, our mission as a company is, is really to help people and communities achieve better health. And I think we're an important leader in the industry um, because we're always focused on that. We're focused on helping people pursue uh, health, you know, and a healthy lifestyle um, and reflecting on that commitment, uh, providing personal support, building strong communities, it really means being available for all types of consumers in all markets of Florida from all walks of life. And that's been something that we've, uh, we've held very um, sacred and important. And it's been very important for so many years uh, as we've been a part of the, the Florida community for, for more than 75 years at this point. Wow. So I think whenever the Affordable Care Act came out um, and you saw many national payers kind of exiting the space in fear, you saw us doubling down. You know, because this was an opportunity to represent our values um, in a very visible way. And I think it's been very successful for us, um, you know, and it's a very important part of our strategy going forward. Well, Ray, we're about to finish out. But I, I want to yeah. give you as much as much time as you need to to put out any message to your members, your providers, your potential members that you would like to think. Because we really appreciate you being here. We want your, your voice to be It's been a great heard. discussion. Yeah, you know, so just first and foremost, I'd say the message for our members is there are reason for being. You know, I think every day we wake up, there are call to action. You know, um, our mission as a not-for-profit, community-based blue um, is to help people get healthy, help, help Florida achieve better health. Uh, so everything we say and do is focused on your well-being both now and in the future. And I think to our providers and our physicians that we work with, we so much value the work, the sacrifice. Uh, the commitment every single day that you demonstrate to take care of Floridians at times whenever they need you the most. Um, we appreciate your perseverance um, and your strength, you know, to help people that are suffering during the pandemic. We really look forward to calmer waters ahead. Um, we know we have our, our collective work cut out for ourselves, um, but value-based programs mean that we're finding win-win solutions. Right. You know, we're helping patients get the care they need at the right place at the right time. We're more committed to that than ever before. And we're grateful for those that are with us on the journey. So thank you um, for this opportunity. It's been great. So exciting. And I appreciate it. Ray, thank you for spending time with us on Healthcare Now today. You know, the whole purpose of this show is to help build educated healthcare consumers and have a conversation with major stakeholders like yourself as to how to navigate through our complex healthcare system. Hopefully we can have you on the show again. I love it. That'd be great. Thank you, Ray. Thanks, Ray. We'll be right back. All right. 
integrated, independent physicians network, preserving and protecting the independent practice of medicine since 2015. Join the movement with us, ipnetworkflorida.com. Mark Chayot, MD, practicing pediatric surgeon since 1997, working with Central Florida's premier hospital systems and outpatient surgery centers, providing unparalleled patient care and leveraging the latest in medical, technology, and education, accepting all major insurance. 407-228-4774 or visit orlandopediatricsurgery.com. The Integrated Independent Physicians Network, preserving and protecting the independent practice of medicine since 2015. Join the movement with us, ipnetworkflorida.com. Mark Chayot, MD, practicing pediatric surgeon since 1997, working with Central Florida's premier hospital systems and outpatient surgery centers, providing unparalleled patient care and leveraging the latest in medical, technology, and education, accepting all major insurance. 407-228-4774 or visit orlandopediatricsurgery.com. Welcome to Healthcare Now. Welcome back to Healthcare Now. Welcome to our fourth segment. That was a great couple of segments with uh, Ray Parsons. Great having great. Ray on from Florida yeah. Blue today. Yeah, I look yep. forward to uh, having him back. And um, I know when we said goodbye, we said, you know, maybe there's some things that, that Florida Blue comes up with in the boardroom that he wants to talk about yeah. and bring out. I'd love for us sure. to be the platform that he that Major he can player, yeah. you know, you know, and he didn't say it, but up about the first three or four years of the ACA, mm-hmm. the Affordable they Care Act, they were the only game right. in town right, right, right. in Orange and Seminole County. Yep. And now there's been a few new players involved since. Yeah, it was it was di- it was a difficult time because, you know, for independent physicians and, and people that just own business, small businesses. Yep. Really, that was the only product only game available. In town. Yep. Um, and, you know, you kind of got in and the prices were reasonable and. And time moves on and things yep. get more expensive. Yep. But, uh, yeah, no, they were, they've definitely been uh, Florida strong. And, yep. and, 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 you know, it's, it's, and, you know, to... it's interesting. Even when Cigna and United pulled out of the ACA mm-hmm. about three years ago, they Blue stayed. Cross was steadfast saying, we're, we're in it to stay. Yep. Yep. And I guess it's a numbers game in, in a lot of it, you know, and, yep. and they've come back. It's, it pays off. So, you know, well, as they were Cross the only did, one there, you know, not only did they build pods. They built they built capitated primary care relationships mm-hmm. even for their commercial side on the ACA, right. and that made a big difference in cost management. Yep. So they they're able to able to survive yep. the storm. Exactly. Yep. yep. Well, great. Let's uh, let's move on to some mm-hmm. other uh, information. We've uh, kind of finished our our COVID discussions, our commercial insurance and value based care discussions. We have been seeing something on uh, on television over and over again. This yes. K Health Insurance. Yep. What do you know about K-Health? Well, they call it the health care without the system. Mm-hmm. And it's evidently a health care program that really targets four things. Primary care, urgent care, mental health, and pediatrics. Gotcha. And what we're seeing is, in you, they see it on TV, it says for $12 you can uh, see a patient, but that, uh, you can see a, a physician Within 60 seconds. Yep. Nationwide. But in reality, when I looked it up, it's a $12 premium per month, per month right. and it's $23 per visit. Right. right. That's still cheap. Yeah, it's still cheap. Yeah, I mean, still cheap. well, when you look at what your copays are, and, 
And and this doesn't have anything to do with whether you have insurance or don't no, have insurance. Absolutely not. So if you do have insurance, this would be an added cost. Um, I don't know that it can yeah. substitute for insurance, really. No, it's, it's not a substitute know, not. because it doesn't have inpatient care mm-hmm. and all the other things, ancillaries. But what it could do is supplement some of these high deductible plans where people can't afford their deductible, right. yet they can get in touch with a physician. Yep. I thought that was a good piece. Yep. And they're using yep. telemedicine. Yep. I mean, you know, it's, it's they are. so... So you can see how the model could work. Um, the now, what about the antibiotic prescription? So it's a specific statement. Yeah, they uh, well, I, some of the testimonies that have been on there mm-hmm. is that there have been very few people that were able to get like a Z pack right. or an antibiotic that they were hesitant to to uh, refer and prescribe antibiotics. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. And and yeah. at the end of the day, I mean, that can just be a, a smart. Cost savings, as we talk yeah. about overuse right. of antibiotics right. a lot, so yeah. it would be interesting. And to again, learn more the about other that. thing is no other coverage. You got to understand that this is not a replacement for insurance, but this is actually, I, I think it's really yeah. for these high deductible plans right. as a supplement. Yeah, but it is yeah. definitely you know some yeah. cash, some cash out of pocket. Yeah, yeah, we'll have yeah. to see where it goes. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm interested to see how it grows and sort of what its financial yeah. model. But you know, when I checked it out, Doctor Mark. Uh, this is sponsored by Johns Hopkins, uh, Harvard University yeah, Medical well, Schools. People, they have, yeah, they yeah. have people on the board. We got there. some yep. incredible board members, not only that are medical, but also IT mm-hmm. that have built this whole K Health system out there. Yep. And again, I don't think it's ever going to be a replacement no. for having a, a, no, that's a not primary care physician. No, no. But I think it's more of urgent care than anything else. Yeah, more. Yeah, more the yeah. urgent care model. That's available yep. online, you know, with yep. with uh, the virtual yep. visits. Yep. Yeah, well, that'd be kind of interesting. Well, also interesting is the insurers uh, Humana and Centene filed suit against Merck. I and, saw that. Yes, yeah. and and this has been discussed for quite a while. But the accusation is that Merck was paying to delay the release of certain generics that would compete with their their branded, drugs or their and, branded drugs and their yeah. branded drugs. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, this could this could be a this could be a very large yeah. number. I think Merck called it a pay for delay program. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep, they did pay for delay. Yeah. Well, that, well, that's yeah. the insurers claim. Well, the insurers yeah, the insurers claimed, claimed it was a they, Merck's they, pay for yeah, delay. Merck didn't, pay, yeah. Merck didn't call yeah. it anything. No, yeah. no, Merck wouldn't call it. It, it, anything. it never happened. Right. It never that's happened. Right. But yeah, that could be a really really big uh, yeah. settlement uh, or or suit, I should say. Yeah. Well, evidently Kaiser sued them as well. Yep, yep. Well, sued I, Merck as well. So I think Kaiser yeah. did it first, and that's where I first heard about it. And then so now you've got some people adding in and sort of uh, you know taking it to that yeah. that next level in, in yeah. multiple states. And, so and we'll Dr. Mark, before we move on there, I just want to say there are generic drugs coming into the market every month, every year, and I think it's very important that this game is played fairly and that these um, branded drugs have options. Because if we don't, that 20, 25% of the healthcare premium that now goes to drugs right. is going to continue to increase. Oh, sure, sure. Well, I mean, the entry prices of these new medications yeah. have been outrageous. It's insane. And yeah. it's despite in the last few years when there's been a lot of news on these ridiculous costs right. you know, with, with CEOs of companies going to jail, but we're still seeing it. Right. I, I mean, I, I don't feel like any of it's, you know, been pushed off to the side. I think that we're still seeing these 
He's, you know, we're going to come up with a new drug and we're only in it. We're only in it for a little while. So we got to make our billions right away. And I really find that to be a huge hole in our plan to decrease and control healthcare costs. And we're going to continue to talk about drug costs on this show for a very long time. No, I I think it's a major, you know, we, we, we sort of brought up, we're seeing the insurers. I mean, one of the reasons we've had some, some of the leaders of our insurance companies on Mm -hmm. is we're seeing the insurers get on the same team as we are of trying to get control of these healthcare costs. Exactly. But we're not seeing that from pharmaceutical. No. And it's that's just a great it's point, the, you know, the business model. Yep. Well, I think at the end of the day, that's going to be a, a the majority part of the answer in controlling costs. No question. And when we talked about like the number of people who are on it, one to two medications, it grows enormously year over year over year. Mm-hmm. And then the the cost of just a few of these medications represents a, a large majority of the cost sure. of the drugs overall. Sure. Yeah. So that's that's definitely going to yeah. continue to be Changing crazy. Changing subjects a little bit, Amazon plans to dramatically scale up their direct delivery service called Amazon Care. You know, we've talked a little bit about this yeah. in the past. No, definitely. But uh, they originally available to its own employees and then in selected test market. But their Amazon plans to roll out Amazon Care in 20 major cities, including Philadelphia, Boston, and Chicago. Yeah, we talked about this a few months ago mm-hmm. when they had expanded, uh, and they, they had a pilot in Seattle. So right. they expanded to the whole state of Washington. And their plan was to be in 50 states in the next right. 60 days or something <laughs> crazy. So, I mean, I'm going to take this with a grain of salt. So now we're, we're saying 20 cities in the next few yep. I mean, they, there's no question that from an idea of a program that can deliver something effectively, the logistics, they've got it. They, they absolutely have no it. No question. And the question becomes, outside of being a pharmaceutical delivery system, I mean, they're, they're, this is much well, more than that. Right. How, how good are they going to be at managing primary care well, the or specialty care? The I mean, concerning how's it piece of this is eventually hire a lot of doctors. Yes. Well, but that's that, a problem. Right. They're they're going to hire, yep. but yep. they're bringing it in. It, 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 it's an interesting model at best. And, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm not sure where the where the uh, leadership stands on, you know, who's running the show there. Yep. And and it is it's always been. And maybe this is the yep. problem. Maybe the problem with healthcare is we're not run by a, a giant business, but maybe that's not the problem. Good so point. so I'm, yep. I'm, I'm interested to but, see where that goes. And, but the aim is reportedly that Amazon Care Services they plan on being in 20 markets by the end of next year. Right, but but again, that's strong. Well, well, yeah. but it's it's a whole lot less than they had claimed they were going to do just a few months ago. True. And you know, I've, I've talked to some some previous employees and whatnot about where they're going, and it's it's fairly secretive on how it's because yep. you know where this came from, right? This is this is the Berkshire Hathaway, exactly. JP Morgan. It was yeah. that group that, when they that said three uh, group. Yeah. yeah, this isn't really going to work. Gonna but do Amazon it for their Care, million employees, right? So that's then right. Amazon okay. Care continued and, and that's right. It's it's absolutely a great idea, but I think its its complexity is is going to be the thing that either you know makes or yeah. breaks it. Well, and one of the things that they've added to this is uh, the Amazon Care is this Amazon Halo, which is kind of an Alexa voice assistant, right? And it really tracks. It's a fitness tracker, and an application for uh, fitness. Yeah, and yeah. it is. I mean, it, yeah. it it's the but the the thing that's going to be a differentiator is because you know I, you know I've got an Apple Watch on. It does all the all the same things. Yep. It does the EKG. However, if Amazon links this as a home monitoring device and starts using mm-hmm. home monitoring devices, I mean, l- l- let's 
that's one topic. And then here we also were talking about something we just mentioned a, mm-hmm. a few seconds ago. They offer to connect members with a clinician within 60 seconds. Exactly. Where did you last hear that? Yeah. This segment, beginning of this segment yeah. with, with Kate Carey. With so, K-Health. K-Health's yep. doing. Yep. So, again, good ideas. I just don't know. I don't know I, where Dr. It's, Mark, we're going to go. I've never called anybody and gotten them in 60 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> no, no that, that, is, that is, again, quite a lofty, lofty goal there. I mean, I can't. I think they, they we're, we're I, I always it takes 60 seconds to get through the message of That's we're right. expecting uh, yeah. long delays. Le- we're really yeah. busy. Yeah. So hang on. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, I I was excited to hear that some of the big outside medicine thinkers are interested in medicine. But we were we're a good few years in here and we haven't seen a whole lot of development there. And I'm not poo pooing their involvement. I mean, we've got yep. brilliant people that know how to do things that that you know probably no yep. one in healthcare has thought about. So you know maybe we can yep. we can bring it forward. Right. I know we've kind of flown through Can't the uh, day we're here. We're out of time, Doctor yeah. Mark. No, it was good. Yeah. It was a good good show today. Um, I really again enjoyed uh, Ray being on with us and yes. look forward to having him again. Yes. Uh, but uh, I hope that the uh, listeners out there got yes. something out of that. And one of the things we're going to talk about on our next show, Doctor Mark, mm-hmm. is obesity. And adult overweight and obesity and how that impacts your health overall. Very, Should very, be a really good discussion. Very important problem yep. all, throughout the world, but certainly yep. right here in America. All right. See you next week. You feel better now? We hope you do. Join us again next week for Healthcare Now. For a podcast of this program, go to theanswerorlando.com.